gonna be just like senior year, except for funner. Hey guys, I'm Kendra. Hi, I'm Mercedes, and this week we're talking about the New York City Cinderella-esque tale, Made in Manhattan. And it goes perfectly with uh, Meet Cute's new March series, Hot Desk, which is a workplace rom-com, because as you can see, we're still in the month of J-Lo. And yes. Made in Manhattan <laughs> falls into that workplace rom-com in a weird, interesting way. So I'm excited to get into it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh, guys. Definitely check out Hot Desk if you are interested in any workplace rom-coms. But first, of course, Mercedes, we have to kick it off with our celebrity crush of the week. Who you crushed on this week? Kendra, I don't know if you've watched Abbott Elementary yet, but I'm loving it. And Tyler uh-huh. James Williams is my crush of the week because Aww. you might you might remember him from Everybody Hates Chris. He was famously Chris. Yes. And yeah. now on Abbott Elementary, he is just so funny. I love his character. He's so charming. And he's like a type A long-term sub. And he's always stressed out. And like seeing him like throughout the episode loosen up a little bit and like see him dance. And it's just, oh my gosh. And like you can see a romance budding, another workplace romance budding on yeah. that show. And I'm <laughs> so excited to see how this unfolds. Oh, he is a cutie. He is very cute. Mm-hmm. I love that he's he's grown up in. Yeah. Grown it to himself. Okay, my goodness, Mercedes, this is this is kind of a rule I have for myself. I never have a crush on someone twice. So my crush this week, and no, this is just in life. <laughs> um, I found out that this mini series, it's this BBC British mini series I love called Pure, is now on HBO Max. It stars Joe Cole, and I started rewatching it. And now I'm just like, I think I love him again. (laughs) I don't know who Joe Cole is, but you told me to watch this and it's on my watch list. I'm ready. I'm curious if you would like it. I find it hilariously funny. Uh, So Joe Cole is an he's a British actor. He's famous for Peaky Blinders. He plays John, but also his best role of all time is Gangs of London. It is so good. I just, he has so many freckles and it's just adorable and he's so cute. But yeah, most people know him from Peaky Blinders. If you just say that, they're like, oh yeah, Joe Cole. There's also a famous soccer player named Joe Cole. Not that one. The other. Oh, Ooh, soccer player. Okay. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, Mercedes, we got to go into the TLDR where we summarize the movie for anyone who hasn't seen it, but also um, embarrassing for you if you haven't seen Made in Manhattan. This is a classic. Yeah. Just a warning, this recap contains spoilers, but you can stream this movie on HBO Max. Take it away, Mercedes. So this movie follows Marisa Ventura, played by J-Lo, and she's a single mom from the Bronx who works as a maid at this plaza-esque Manhattan hotel. Her gifted son, Ty, played by Teen Wolf's very own Tyler Posey, is her main focus. She, Yes, exactly. She also has <laughs> career goals set on hotel management and is really urged by her coworkers to apply when there's an open position. Now, cut to the Republican Senate candidate, Chris Marshall, played by Rafe Fiennes, who's staying at the same hotel she's working at. And the two haphazardly meet when Marissa is caught trying on a designer outfit in a guest suite and is mistaken for the wealthy hotel guest Caroline Lane, played by Natasha Richardson. And then after a day at the park with Chris and Ty, Marissa's caught in the middle of a lie that's left her and Chris like really mutually infatuated with each other. It's so sweet, but it's also happening like in the midst of her management training and it's leading to a lot of stress for her and confusion on Chris's end. But with the help of her coworkers, Marissa makes a plan to end their fling and go back to her normal life after just one last night as Chris's date to a dinner at the Met. It's so magical. 
But the morning oh, after, Marissa's beautiful. caught leaving his hotel, his hotel room at the place she works, by the real Caroline Lane, and she shamed and fired in front of Chris and a lot of different people at the hotel. But mm. after some time passes, Marissa's a maid now at a different hotel, and coincidentally, Chris is set to hold a press conference there, where Ty, her son, attends and asks a pretty profound question, which leads Chris to run and find Marissa, and the two are reunited again, and then cut to the credits. We see that they're still together a year later, which is pretty promising. Yeah, so, so we're going to talk about later in the episode because I was like, oh, okay, this couple, this couple lasts. Exactly. <laughs> so, I'm shocked. <laughs> yeah, right. Mercedes, I will say this a million times during this episode. Ray Fiennes is my all-time favorite actor, and that happened completely by mistake. Like, I just, when I recall my top five favorite movies, season three of them, I was like, okay, I guess he's my favorite actor, and I've watched everything oh that he's been in. I'd give you the list of all of my favorite actors, like my top five, but like three of them have been canceled, which I feel like says a lot about me. No, no, says a lot about that. (laughs) So this is a 2002 film with the story written by the man who literally shaped the 80s, John Hughes. Yeah. And guys, I'm sorry to shame you, but if you don't know who John Hughes is, what are you doing? He is the genius behind, seriously, he's a genius behind The Breakfast Club, Pretty in Pink, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And then one that we definitely, the whole Rat Pack. (laughs) And then one that we definitely have to do a future episode on, Some Kind of Wonderful. Oh my gosh, I love that movie. Yes. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) exactly. And then the script was written by Kevin Wade, who also wrote the movie uh, that made me personally fall in love with Brad Pitt, Meet Joe Black. Oh, just yeah. three hours of Brad Pitt being adorable. And it's directed by Wayne Wang, who you know from Last Holiday. Oh, I love gosh. Last Holiday. <laughs> yes, I know. I know. Common. <laughs> you know, he walked outside of my window one time, and I still think about that every single day. Oh, my gosh. Was, yes, you've told me. It was me. amazing. I, my jaw dropped yeah. when you told me. I was like, wow. Oh my God. Wow. Well, I was freaking out. <laughs> Mercedes, I know you got some interesting industry facts for me. I do. Okay. So as you said, this script was started by John Hughes and it was originally called The Chambermaid. And he was originally set to direct it and it was going to be like his early 2000s revival from the 80s, basically. But he ended up leaving the project, and that's when Kevin Wade stepped in and rewrote it to tailor it more to J-Lo because J-Lo had been cast right around the same time, too. So this movie, I I love that because then it plays on the fact that like J-Lo's from the Bronx and all of that. She's actually playing a Latina here, which we appreciate, even though made Latina. <laughs> we'll get into that. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. No, you got a lot about that. <laughs> exactly. But I also read a piece on AV Club a few years ago that mm-hmm. discussed how how well this movie is directed, which I mean, I don't think rom-coms rightfully get like the credit they deserve for cinematography and direction because mm-hmm. no one's really looking at that when it comes to them and they deserve praise too. And I really love right. it because this whole article really celebrated the techniques and like there were so many dynamics to portray. There were different techniques to portray the dynamics within the city and like how cramped New York is and then also within the hotel space to really show like how space is taken up by workers Mm -hmm. and guests and the hierarchy within management and the maids and we see that Mm -hmm. in like the wide shots within the hotel and then in the city and it's always cramped like so that there's room for extras so then you can always see people buzzing around which I think is so Mm -hmm. interesting when you're focusing a whole story and a plot line on uh, somebody in the service industry because that really is Mm -hmm. like rarely the main character in a film you know yeah and i yeah, thought that absolutely. was so good and also oh, like 
The opening shots of Marissa's morning routine, I love because it just really Mm. shows her real life. You're like walking through her morning as this woman who works so hard and is so good at what she does and is a single mom. You see her leaving home to like taking her son to school to like reading a book about parenting on the train, walking Mm -hmm. in and like changing and talking to everybody at work. You can see she gets along with everyone and like people love her. And I don't know, it's just such a beautiful thing to see her journey because I think it adds more depth to her character and more depth to the story right from the get-go so you really understand her you see her and then there's just a really special emphasis on like understanding the facets of her job and Mm -hmm. I think that's really important when you're portraying a story that has to do with class and work just to really understand it as much as you can and be really conscious of the reality as much as you can in like a rom-com fantasy type you know yeah did you notice versus like I noticed there was a big color contrast in this movie so when you're with marissa and you're in her maid job you see that the colors are more muted it's kind of has more of like an overcast tone anytime she's with chris or she's in caroline's room it's a lot more sunny and brighter and i always i noticed that because we did a color theory section in one of our classes in film school um just about how directors use color to convey an emotion or to get convey like different aspects of what's happening in the movie and i just noticed that with marissa's life like it's very dull and muted but with chris it's like lively and so it almost makes Ah. us want to root for them because you see her in this literally a different light (laughs) totally and in new york too like high rises i think light also equals power in a way and status so like the more sun Mm -hmm. you're getting in your room means you're paying a lot more (laughs) and Mm -hmm. or like you can afford a lot more so i think that has that's such a good detail too i love i love that yeah exactly i just want to talk about natasha richardson for a little bit because if you don't know natasha richardson who played caroline lane she passed away very bad a ski accident heartbreaking yeah yeah in like 2009 but i just love i love seeing her and ray fines in this because So Liam Neeson and Natasha Richardson were married before her passing. And actually, all three of them were really good friends because Liam Neeson starred in Schindler's List with Ray Fiennes. And so they've known each other for years. And so it was really cool to see, like, just, like, friends in this movie. But also, like, obviously they weren't (laughs) super nice to each other. (laughs) You know what's funny? Um, My mom just told me the same fact yesterday while I was watching, rewatching this. She was like, did you know? And she goes, that's so funny. They have to like pretend, he has to pretend he doesn't like her in this movie because they are Yeah, that is funny. (laughs) I know. It's hilarious. You know, I also read too, this is the second movie that Jennifer Lopez has taken over for Minnie Driver. So Minnie Driver was literally like a hot ticket back then. And so she was actually supposed to play the lead in The Wedding Planner and in this movie. And she dropped out of both. And then Jennifer Lopez took over. So I think that's really interesting. Wow. I had no idea. But also, like, we have to we have to talk about, like, some of the less fun stuff. So Ray Fiennes admitted that he regretted making this movie. And I think that's really interesting because when I think of Ray Fiennes, I literally think of, okay, I think of Schindler's List. I think of the constant gardener. He made an appearance in The Hurt Locker, like The Invisible Woman. He does really serious Harry Potter. He does, like, really serious dramas. And to see him in a rom-com, I was just like, you seem out of place. That's why when we were planning this, when we were playing this episode, we're saying this, I was like, oh, yeah, me and my hand, the one with Matthew McConaughey. Because that just, like, made sense in my head. Yeah. <laughs> People often forget that he's in this. because, And it is mm-hmm. really jarring to see him in a romantic role. And I think that's why he really does feel misplaced in it. Like, it doesn't feel mm. correct. 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like the bounce. Yeah, exactly. Off. Yeah, it's almost like, okay, so there's this new movie coming out called Ambulance, directed by Michael Bay. It's starring Jake Gyllenhaal. And for me, I just like can't see Jake Gyllenhaal in a Michael Bay movie. So I really want to see it. But it's just like, <laughs> it just seems out of place. It's like one of those things, right? It does, yeah. <laughs> it really does. All right, let's get into time capsule, guys. We just like to recall where we were when this movie came out, what we were doing, and also how old we were, because that kind of just like <laughs> sets the whole scene. So I'm curious, Mercedes, do you remember the first time you watched this movie? Okay, so the first time I watched this movie, I'm almost positive I was with my dad because we had this routine of every Friday we'd go to Hastings, which is basically Blockbuster, if you didn't know. Yeah. And I, I think it's better. We'd go like every Friday and we'd grab a movie. And I remember like waiting so, because I was so excited for this movie to be on mm-hmm. DVD. I was in first grade. I was so stoked. Yeah, I was just so excited. And like that was a routine on Fridays to just watch it. And like I distinctly remember watching it and being upset of Amy Sedaris's character and Natasha Richardson, but just like so angry yeah. at them. And I could just feel it in my little <laughs> like six yeah. body of just like so bugged. And then I just remember being so in awe of her dress she wears to the Met. Mm. Oh, my gosh. It is beautiful. Like honestly, we need to have a time where we just rank like the top 10 most beautiful rom-com dresses. Because yeah. again, like this one, and then the dress that JLo wears in Marry Me, and also the dress that Kate Hudson wears in How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. It's like, I just, we need to just focus yeah. on that. This dress is up there with me, like ranked with Anne Hathaway's in Princess Diaries. Those yes. two are like my favorite dresses. I was just going to say, are you talking about the red dress? Oh my oh, gosh. No, I'm, there's literally a replay. <laughs> I'm talking about the, the white one at the end of Princess Diaries, the one she's in the ballroom. Okay, I'm thinking Princess Diaries too. Sorry, that red one where she when she first oh when we yes. first see her again. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, oh, I love it. I love it. I like mm-hmm. want to wear every dress like that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, so I don't remember the first time I watched this movie, but I do remember. So growing up, I literally watched like six channels just because I wasn't really interested in anything else, and TNT yeah. was one of those channels. So I feel like of the six channels I watched. One was Cartoon Network, one was Nickelodeon, one was Disney Channel. I feel like I saw this on TNT. That's probably where I watched totally. it. Totally. This lot. was either a TNT yeah. or like ABC Family. It was there a lot. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which I feel like people who say this may not know what ABC Family was. It's now Freeform. Freeform. <laughs> Freeform. <laughs> <laughs> but back in the day, guys, it was called ABC Family. It was Bob. It was so good. Also in 2002. So I don't remember who I had a crush on, but I remember who had a crush on me. I can't even tell you. I was 10 years old. So I was in fifth grade. I don't know why I can't find anything about my life in fifth grade. So I used to keep a diary and I kept a diary from the time I was eight years old. And the entire year of 2002 is missing. And I'm like, why is that? Weird. Yeah, it's weird. The diary goes from 2001 to 2003. So it's like I'm in fourth grade and all of a sudden I'm in sixth grade. I'm like, oh, wait, no, I want to know what happened. I do remember I played the trumpet and I played the violin. And I was like, that was my most musical time in my life. I love that. (laughs) Yeah, but there's this kid named Cavill. And I was trying to look him up because I'm really good at finding people. I was trying to look him up. I couldn't remember his last name. He loved me, Mercedes. He had kind of like... I think he had kind of a tough life because I just remember his parents were literally just like never in the picture. And so my dad used to drive both of us to violin lessons and we'd be in this like 15 minute car ride. And Cavill would just be telling my dad how much he loved me, how much he wanted to marry me, all of this stuff. And it was so I thought it was weird, but my dad thought it was hilarious. It's hilarious. That's so precious. (laughs) I know. I wish I could remember his last name so I could find him and see 
what he's up to if he's still You're around. <laughs> it's so interesting when you hear somebody had a crush on you. Like there was one boy in elementary school who said he had a crush on me because I was the only kid in class with moisturized elbows. Like I was the only one who didn't have dry elbows. <laughs> what on earth? And what? I think that's my favorite, my favorite crush memory. <laughs> wow, what a quality to look for in someone. Hey, you're exactly. really cute because your elbows are super moisturized. <laughs> I mean, it's important. I, I'm from the desert. Like, he was yeah. really cute. <laughs> that is so funny. Oh, my God. Okay, so 2002, Mercedes. How old were you? Where were you? What were you doing? I was in first grade. This movie oh. came out in December, I am pretty sure, yes. of 2002. Okay. So I had just turned seven. Also, in November of that same year, my favorite JLo album, This Is Me, dot, 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 then, was released. <laughs> so I was in a major <laughs> Jenny from the Block era. That was the Jenny from the Block yes. album. So this was mm-hmm. prime Jennifer Benefer time. I yes. was, so I was super big on accessorizing at this time because I wore school uniforms. And JLo and Miranda oh. from Lizzie McGuire were like my style icons. And love it. I love them. <laughs> and then I was also like obsessed with Jane Goodall at this time in my life. And then the American Girl dolls. I was everywhere. <laughs> I loved Jane Goodall. <laughs> you were such an eclectic child. <laughs> what? Jane and then I was also like basketball soccer I was all over the place so yeah I would go to school every winter I would ask for a new pair of pleather knee-high boots Mm -hmm. to walk down the hall in like my skorts and like my like khakis or whatever I was wearing it and I felt so (laughs) cool and I would wear them to look like too warm outside and I was obsessed with them and I would wear I remember I had like a white faux fur vest that I'd zip over like my polos and I felt so glamorous and I was like I'm just (laughs) and like I had I have a picture I can show you on zoom of what i looked like in my j-lo fits at school oh look at you we're gonna have to include this in the description of the podcast (laughs) you look you look fresh mercedes yeah wow look at you yeah i was i love it (laughs) i loved it but yeah Mm. I was I was just finding all my interests that year. I'm very impressed, honestly. Like, I'm reflecting back on what I was doing when I was seven. I was not doing half of the things that you were, so I'm very <laughs> impressed. All right, guys, it's now time for the Rob-Com Hall of Fame. But yes. first, we have to roast this movie, Mercedes. And if you wouldn't oh, mind, yeah. I just want to say the biggest roast that I had throughout this entire movie, other than the fact that Ray finds the idea of Rob-Com, it's the fact that Chris is a freaking Republican. Oh, my God. I know. <laughs> Horrible. I was like, that does not age well at all. Like, at all. Think about the political climate in 2002. You're really going to have this wealthy white Republican politician fall in love with a low-income single mom, Latina, from the Bronx. I'm like, who wrote this? Why? What was happening? (laughs) You couldn't have just made him a politician. And I know his views are a little more egalitarian, but still, he still claims to be a Republican. I know. Okay, I've seen so many of those news stories, like, of these white Republicans married to women of color and just having such staunch, like, stances on immigration and all of those things. It's like, you're literally married to a person of color. How are you going to say all these things in public and then in private go to bed with this person? Like, exactly. That is incredibly problematic. I will never, I, I don't think I could ever date somebody who with differing like political social views as me like that's just the bottom line like that will never be crossed that means you have standards mercedes that means you have standards because i've literally met people who have dated someone who have who has different uh, political affiliations it never works out it's not just like oh you're a republican and you're you're a democrat it's like 
no, these these intrinsic values that are wholehearted to me, like those that are, that are very personal to me, we differ on. Exactly. Like that is very telling about who you are as the person and what you believe. So I think that should be one of the like one of the deal breakers. Like, hey, totally. What do you believe? <laughs> yeah, it's a non-negotiable. Exactly. And I also think, too, we have to talk about just like the blatant white privilege of Caroline Lane. Oh, my I God. Just, I hate during this whole movie. She's referring to Marissa as Maria, doesn't care to like, just assumes oh, that her name's and Maria. Then she, like, was, oh, she's like, you told me your name was Maria. And it's like, how is yeah. this woman going to correct you when you're not even listening to her? Exactly, oh, exactly. And then also too, just like the manipulation and the fake kindness just always be like, oh, can you do me a favor? Can you do a small favor? That's not yeah. her job. That's literally not her job. And then also too, the fact that she can afford a $3,000 lunch and a $5,000 jacket, but she has to make it a point to get someone who is low income, probably makes less than minimum wage. Like she has the time to get them fired and humiliate yeah. them. Who the hell are you? I'm so bad about that. <laughs> no, is she, oh my gosh, she is so frustrating. And then Amy Sedaris, who plays her friend in it, is just yeah. so, makes my skin crawl in the scene where they're like working out and then she's just like comment after comment about marissa and it's just it makes me livid i i'm like i understand that they want to show the dynamics between like wealthy guests and the mistreatment of marissa or like what she faces on the daily but it's so frustrating to see it and then also like it's all supposed in this like comedic tone all of marissa's Mm. rebuttals are like comedy like it's out of spite i don't know like making the bed in a really aggressive way or like saying like a comment about like styling or something so like it does it's not fulfilling enough for me the justice is not served That's exactly exactly and i feel like you don't ever get that because the last we see of her is chris being like the first lunch was a mistake second one would be torture and then she's just like drinks that then we literally don't see her again so we don't get like as audiences we don't get that satisfaction of seeing her get put in her place and exactly. i really wish that we... but also that's kind of reality i mean i guess it's just, it was just a very early reflection of reality of like sometimes there are terrible people and just nothing bad ever happens to them they just keep going on with their lives in their little privilege bubble and nothing ever happens to them so it's hard to see that <sighs> in a movie like this that has such a magical like fantasy-esque tone though you're like come on yeah. put this person in their yeah. place <laughs> yeah exactly well i wanted something that you usually always bring up uh, in past episodes, we said is, is the chemistry between the two characters. And yeah. I guess I want to know, like, do you feel watching this like Chris and Marissa actually know each other? No, I don't. I their conversations aren't anything, really. They're both like, oh, we had it. It's there. I can't really explain it. I don't I didn't see it. I can't explain it either, actually. Because <laughs> it doesn't exist. Exactly. No, I, I, I agree with think? that. I I mean, I agree with that. It's mostly I brought this up because at the end, when you see the magazine cover and it's like a year later, still going strong. I'm like, really? You guys don't know each other. I feel like we would catch glimpses of Marissa's personality when she would say things in terms of like, oh, Chris is like, oh, I'm going to go to the projects and do a speech. And she's like, well, why don't you actually spend time in the projects? Yeah. Like, I thought it was really weird that he kind of had like this infatuation with the fact that she was this upper class woman who knew a lot about the lower class. And I just thought that was like a weird complex. I can't explain it, but do you get what I'm trying to say? Totally. I think, and he was also, I don't know, he had this like, the air of him describing her and looking at her with this gaze of like, oh, you're the other. What are you? I need to understand you in a way that I didn't like. It almost felt like, like an anthropologist almost, (laughs) like the way that he's trying to understand more about her that I, I don't know, I didn't dig. But also to, like, prove something. And so, like, I just want to make this clear. I have no problems with interracial relationships. 
I just think it's funny how I, this is kind of the vibe I get from most white women who date black men. It's like mm. they, they look at them with that exact same gaze that you just described and just like, oh, like I, I could prove something with you, like by being with you. And that's yeah. just kind of like, you know what I'm trying it's to say? So unsettling. <laughs> it is, it's icky. It is. Another icky thing is the fact that we have a Latina playing a maid. Like, yeah. it's just playing up this huge stereotype. It makes my eyes roll. It's frustrating. And but I'm also like happy to see J-Lo play a Latina because the, the year prior we see her play an Italian-American. So I'm like, what am I? I'm like, I'm happy you're a Latina. Why are you a maid? And then it's this isn't the only things in more recent years have been like Latinas playing maids. Like we had like a show a few years ago called like Devious Maids. These things have are, are still continuing to be played up. And it just I have to roll my eyes every single time. Yeah, I mean, it's the same way I feel when you see, like, a Black person playing a gangbanger. Exactly. Like a prostitute or something. It's yeah. Like, these stereotypes. Why do we give it to these stereotypes? But I'm curious, Mercedes. So, as a Latina, what is what are some roles that you would love to see represented by your community? So, can you give me, like, an example maybe of, like, past movies or just even just, like, jobs that you would love to see more Latinos portray in movies? Oh, my goodness. That's such a good question. Hmm. I mean, speaking from just like my history, uh, most people in my family are educators and Mm -hmm. uh, my family's all Latino. So I would just like love to see more of that. I don't know. I love seeing educators on screen because I like seeing what my family has to say about it when they're watching it. I think that's always really interesting. I don't know. What I do appreciate about this movie that I said before is it does feel delicate with its portrayal of the service industry, which I appreciate. It's never Mm -hmm. something that Marissa is shown like she doesn't have a burden there and she doesn't feel shame around it she has a lot of pride in her work and she uses it as like a stepping stone for her plus i mean being a maid is a completely valid job on its own it's just frustrating when that's the consistent stereotype you know what i mean but i i think i really like that she acknowledges that she's good at her job and like she finds a lot of pride there And it makes her, like, really relatable and human because it shows how hard she works. And it's not just her complaining about, like, oh, blah, blah, blah. And also, like, her relatability is, like, in her work ethic and, like, how she is as a mom and a person. And not in, like, the typical rom-com fashion of the clumsy, quirky girl relatability, you know? (laughs) Which I appreciate. We're getting a different angle here. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. 100%. All right, guys, I just want to know, Mercedes, can you tell me what is one of your favorite quotes from this movie? Oh, my gosh. Okay, my quote kind of goes along with what I was saying. And it's Mm -hmm. right when she gets fired and she's talking to the butler. And he says to serve people. It takes dignity and intelligence. But remember, they're only people with money. And although we serve them, we are not their servants. What we do, Miss Ventura, does not define who we are. What defines us is how well we rise after falling. And I just think that's beautiful. That is beautiful. And that's kind of like mine, too. Um, So I love when the manager is telling Marissa that she's going to be considered for the position. Mm -hmm. And he goes, when life shuts one door, it opens a window. And I just I know that's so cliche, but I just felt it so deeply because I just feel like I'm in a season of my life where I'm experiencing a lot of open windows after experiencing a lot of doors shut in my face. And like, for example, just like hosting this podcast with you, Mercedes, is definitely an open window because I love rom-coms 
and I'm a hopeless romantic and I love just talking about movies. And then it just seems like it very much aligned because I actually went out for a job similar to this before where it was another oh. rom-com podcast job. And I wanted it so badly and I didn't get it. And I was heartbroken because it was just, again, a time in my life where a lot of doors were just being shut in my face. Like I had yeah. all these ideas. I was working really hard on things. And everyone just kept saying no, no, no. And I feel like I'm in a season of yes. And I'm really appreciating this breeze that's coming through these open windows. I love it. Oh, I mean, my gosh, it's such a joy to work yeah. with you. I don't know. I I love talking to people about rom-coms anyway. And to find someone mm-hmm. who's equally as passionate about talking about them and analyzing them with me. Yes. Oh, now I'm just like gushing. <laughs> Another one of my favorite quotes is Chris is like, uh, if your husband wouldn't mind. Um... She doesn't have a husband. I don't have a husband. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the tone there is so good. Yeah. yeah. Chris's best moments are with Ty, not with Marissa. Mm. Yeah. You are so right. You are absolutely right, which is good, too, because I, I'm going to get into this later about how rom-coms tend to breeze over the fact that, like, someone has a child and, like, that's a whole other layer. But I'll talk yeah. about that a little bit. So, Marissa, just tell me, would you swipe left or right on this movie? I'm swiping right because... Mm-hmm. I for young Mercedes is one of her faves and also I love Marissa as a character even if I don't really like their relationship and also I'll swipe right Ray on any makeover scene because they're so magical and I love that this <laughs> makeover scene was like made by all her coworkers and her friends and like all the friends she's made mm-hmm. in the service industry and they're all just rooting for her just like we are and it was I it's so special to watch it makes me so happy oh my gosh Wait, what is your most iconic makeover scene in a rom-com? Oh, my God. (laughs) I mean, I I have to go with Princess Diaries, right? Like, that is, Oh, that's a good... That's the one. Even though, like, I'm sad that Mm -hmm. she didn't keep her curls. Like, you could have... You didn't have to, like, (laughs) style it that way. She could have kept her curls. They just needed to not be brushed. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like... Okay, well, I feel like the classic... Like, the whole start of the makeover scene started with She's All That, right? With Freddie Prince Jr. Oh, my God. (laughs) Freddie Prince Jr. We go way back. He's from here. (laughs) Oh, that's right. That's right. But just, like, she's she's coming down the stairs, and it's like, kiss me. A classic. A classic. Yeah, I feel like that's why everyone started doing the makeover scenes because of that scene. So we'll just... (laughs) Oh, Pretty Woman. That's like probably the most iconic makeover, yeah. Oh, that's pretty good too. Okay, so my thing is, kind of like you, it is impossible for me to swipe left on anything with Ray Fiennes. Like literally, I've watched... (laughs) I go on IMDb and I look at his credits. I've watched every single thing that he's in and I've pretty much liked every single... I know, it's, it's like I just... I'm drawn to him. And so I feel like even if I want to, my thumb would not even move in that direction. So I'm swiping right on this movie as well. <laughs> I'm so glad this movie came out before the fourth Harry Potter movie, or else I'd be terrified mm. to watch this, I think. Voldemort <laughs> is terrifying. Is terrifying. He also said he would never take another role where he has to do prosthetics because of Voldemort. Like oh it was God, so that much nose. for him. <laughs> That nose. Really... Those teeth. Oh, His feet. Oh, God. All right, guys. It is time for couples therapy. Mercedes and I just like to give dating advice for the characters on how they can improve their relationship. And I just want to start by saying my biggest hope for Marissa is I just want her to be more confident in who she is. I think it's very apparent in this movie that she has a routine. She gets up. She gets tie ready for school. She goes to work. And this whole instance with Chris just seems like a huge interruption. And she wasn't very welcoming to it. And albeit she wasn't honest with Chris from the beginning about who she was, but just seemed like this was a very positive time in her life. Like, you know, love came into her life and she was up for a promotion. But even with the possibility of her becoming a manager, 
she was still very hesitant. Like she yelled at her friend who filled out an application for her. But it's just like, I feel like in love, you just cannot be hesitant or else the moment will pass you by. It's just like, love is such a fickle thing in the first place that we'll never know if it will come by our way again. Also, like, this is very personal to me because I'm just dealing a lot with, you know, is love going to come back into my life at some point? Like I, for any listeners who don't know, I experienced my very first relationship at 29 and it lasted for two months, but it's like, I waited 29 years to finally experience a relationship. And I'm over here like, okay, if it took me that long to meet the wrong person, how long is it going to take me to meet the right person? So I guess I'm honestly giving Marissa's, Marissa advice based off of like me, like you just, you know, I just, I just want her to remember that in, in love, you got to jump sometimes. And so, especially if it's a good thing, if it's a healthy thing, if it's a positive thing, like jump, be all in, don't be afraid. Kendra, I love that. Also, it's going to find you. It's going to find you. I know it will. Thank you. I have all the faith. I just, it, it's the waiting that's hard. It's like, everyone's like, it's going to yeah. come. But like, and then people love to tell me stories of like, oh yeah, this woman, she was 60 before she met her husband. I'm like, I don't want to. You're like, don't tell me 60. that. <laughs> that's not what I want. <laughs> but that's why, that's my advice for Marissa. What do you, what do you have, Mercedes? <laughs> my advice is really, these two need to get to know each other. Like we said before, yeah. they don't know each other well. And that stresses me out because it is such a whirlwind romance and I understand that. And it, it it does kind of have that old Hollywood feel of like we we had one magical night, you know, that like it definitely takes on that Cinderella story. But it stresses me out. Like I want to see like a deeper emotional connection here and I want to see those play out and not just like miscommunication after miscommunication. And I also like we said before, they need to get to know each other on like a sociopolitical level. I'm sorry. Yeah, like you absolutely. need to have these discussions, <laughs> especially if you're thinking long term here. Like this woman has a son and you need to be careful yes. and you need to like care and like really be patient when you're joining a family like that. That's huge. Yeah, exactly. Right. That's kind of what I was saying in the beginning, too. A lot of rom-coms seem to gloss over the fact that like a kid is involved. And so my advice for Chris is just like, remember that you're not just accepting Marissa to your life. You're accepting Ty as well. And like. This is really important because it seems like Ty is a kid who's clearly dealing with a rocky relationship with his father in the first place. Totally. And he needs a stable father figure. He needs a stable male figure in his life. And so I'm just like, Chris, that's a whole job. It's going to require so much more than you just handing a paperclip to the kid. Like, you're going to have yeah. to be there for him. You're going to have to encourage him. You're going to have to support him. So I just want Chris to remember that because in, in, I just I just don't want him to be selfish when it comes exactly. to that. But. I do want to ask you, Mercedes, like when we, we we talk a lot about how these characters don't know each other in rom-coms. Do you feel like there's the rom-com that you've watched that does a good job of portraying the two characters getting to know each other really well? Yes. Honestly, I just watched I Want You Back a couple weeks ago. And as yeah. a newer rom-com, I think it shows it really well. I also think like mm -hmm. to all the boys shows it really well. You're really getting to see these really small moments where they're getting really personal. And it doesn't have to be this deep emotional scene, but it's just mm -hmm. these little quality time pockets that I really appreciate. And I don't know, it makes me trust their relationship more. And I think that's why a lot of people have been leaning toward rom-com television. Like if we watch like Starstruck on HBO from 2020, mm -hmm. that's such a good example of, I don't know, they're getting to know each other more. And I'm excited to see um, season two because that's not out here in the States yet. <laughs> but I don't know, like that's another one where I think it's a great example of you're really getting to see them grow together. 
Yeah, and I think there's obviously like an inherent difference between movies and television because in television you have a longer time exactly. to develop that relationship, whereas movies you get like rom coms, especially you get like an hour and a half. So a rom com that I think does a really good job of it is one of my personal favorites, uh, Love and Other Drugs with Jake Gyllenhaal and Anne Hathaway. Oh, oh yeah, I love that movie. I think it is so underrated. People do not see how freaking funny it is, and Josh Gad is in it. It just adds this whole other element, but. It's. I think they do such a good job of like showing just the full development of each character, like Anne Hathaway becoming comfortable with, you know, I don't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it, but then like Jake Gyllenhaal accepting himself and growing in himself. So I just, I love that movie. We have to do that in a future episode. Listeners, if you yes. have not seen Love and Other Drugs, please go and watch it. <laughs> That's such a good example. Oh my gosh, I always forget about that movie. I know, it's everyone forgets about him. It's so yeah. good. What do you feel like their love language is, though, in, in Manhattan? So Marissa and Chris, what do you feel like their love languages are? Marissa is wholeheartedly acts of service. She yeah. is a service worker who goes above and beyond for her work. And then she does the same for her family and home life. But I also think she needs words of, words of affirmation. I think she's used to hearing how hard she works and what her place is in this world. And that can be really disheartening and like really weigh on you. There's a lot of comparison between her and the people she works for at this hotel. And I I don't know. I think she needs to be lifted up more. She also just mm -hmm. needs access service back because she works so hard. We talked we touched on that. Yep. Last week, yep. where yeah, yep. these ex-service <laughs> women need it back, and you can't just expect them to be okay just doing putting in all this work and not getting anything Exactly. Back. That's exactly what I was going to say. Like, people who give acts of service, like, oftentimes need that back because it's hard to always be the caretaker and to never be taken care of. Yeah. But I also feel like with Chris, I think he gives quality time. I mean, you can see that by just like how much he enjoys spending time with her. Like he invited her out for a walk with his dog and then he invited her to this fancy lodge. But I feel like Chris needs words of affirmation. I just felt like he was always more inclined with Marissa when she spoke her mind about things. And I feel like he really appreciated that. And so I think he gives quality time, but he needs words of affirmation. Like he likes to talk and he likes to, I don't know. <laughs> I, that's interesting because I flip-flopped those. So I said he gives quality time or he needs quality time because you can see he really opens up when like his political entourage isn't around and it's just like him, Marissa, or like him and Ty, like really talking. And I, I think he gives words of affirmation because, I mean, he is a politician. So I think he's really good with his words. And his most charming <laughs> scenes, like I said before, like with Ty. And he really reassures him about the stage fright. And that's so sweet to see. And yeah, I think he also, he gives different words to Marissa that I don't think she had acknowledged about herself or heard in that way yet. And I think yeah. that's really, that's really nice to see. It is very nice to see. All right. So we have talked a lot. We've roasted this movie a lot. We've talked <laughs> a lot about these characters. The the question everyone is wondering do you think this couple lasts in five years no i know they last mm -hmm. about a year but i don't know how long they're gonna <laughs> last these two have different goals and i don't want marissa to give up on her career goals just for the sake of a relationship like she has plans for herself in yeah. hotel management and like however far she can go and i just don't want that to like her to like lose sight of all of that just because she's in this romance it's like pretty high profile and mm. i don't know their chemistry isn't strong enough to make me think this could work i know a lot of romances romance stories and like love stories want us to believe that people can persevere like despite cultural and class differences 
But it's hard and it takes a lot of work. And I don't know if these two are prepared to put in the work. Mm. That's funny because because of all those reasons, I actually said the opposite. I said they do last five years because I think I think Marissa really grounds Chris and really humbles him. And I don't think he has a lot of people in his life who do that. I think Chris is kind of just kind of like the effect that celebrities have too. celebrities are often surrounded by people who are always hyping them up and always telling them how great they are and how amazing they are and how great this thing was. But I don't know how many celebrities have people who are always like grounding them and humbling outside of their family anyways. Right. And so I think that's really important in a, in a partner for Chris. And I think, too, Chris just has a lot of respect for Marissa because we see at the end that she does start her she does. She is a manager of like a hotel chain and she starts her own business and all of these things. And I think Chris has like a really high level of respect for Marissa. Like he appreciates how she thinks and I think he supports her. And I think we take those values and relationships for granted a lot of times because that that to me, that's just like that should be the norm. But I don't think a lot of relationships have a level of respect. And so mm-hmm. I, I I think they last in five years. I also think they're both like very hardworking people and they would work to make it work. So that's how I see it. All amazing <laughs> points. That's so true about the respect. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for saying. All right, guys. Now it's time for Heartthrob. I would just Yay. love to know, Mercedes, of the entire cast, women included, who would you take home to your friends and family and the people that you love to introduce them to? Like I said last week and probably every week of JLo month, I will most definitely introduce JLo in <laughs> to my people. Marissa's awesome. Yep. I think I think we'd be great friends. So mm-hmm. I would love to take JLo in the form of Marissa. One hundred percent. See, I would say Chris, but I can't be bringing a Republican around my friends because they eat. Oh my god, alive. imagine not. <laughs> Yeah, but like not in a judgmental way. Like my friends aren't judgmental, but they just have a lot of questions to ask him about his politics and his beliefs. And I don't know if he'd be able to provide quality answers that would suffice. So I'm going to say, actually, I would take Rufus to meet my friends. Uh, the oh, dog. that's such a good answer. More, more rom-coms need dogs. More rom-coms. More rom-coms need dogs more than must love dogs. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Which is another, another one we should do. Another group. Yes, exactly. <laughs> All right, guys, it's time for Mary Smooch Ghost. We love to play this game where we're talking about who we're going to marry, who we're going to smooch, and who we're going to guess. So, Mercedes, here's a setup. Chris, Jerry, played by Stanley Tucci, or Caroline? Okay. Ghost Caroline, she's the worst. I'm smooching Chris, and I'm going to marry Jerry because I, wow. love, I love Stanley Tucci. We have the same birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, <laughs> we're both 11-11s. I love him, and I'll even though Jerry is obnoxious and annoying in this movie as a character, mm-hmm. I just love Stanley Tucci too much to not marry him. Wow, between you and Stanley Tucci, I feel like I have to look up more people who were born on 11-11 because that's two for two. You guys are two really great Leonardo people. Leonardo DiCaprio, so I... stop! Oh my gosh, yeah. that's right. He is a November 11th baby. Yeah, gosh. Okay, well, I, I'm, I'm hooked then. I'm. <laughs> I'm hooked on 11-11 people. Oh, gosh. Okay. I hate how much I contradict myself sometimes when I say this because I really do. I think I'm going to... I think I'm going to... Ghost Caroline because she's obnoxious. She's literally insufferable. I can't stand the privilege. I'm going to smooch Jerry because I'm just going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to leave it there. I'm going to smooch Jerry and then I'll, I'll marry Chris. It's mostly because of Ray Fiennes, though. Let me just make that perfectly clear. It is because of Ray Fiennes. Love that man to death. So that's who I'm going for. <laughs> but obviously, guys, before we wrap up the episode, we always love to bring in a pop culture moment. And so, Mercedes, did you know this movie turns 20 this year? This December, December 13th, will be the 20th anniversary, right? 
Oh my goodness. I'm, I can't believe really, that. I'm really hoping that they do something where like Ray Fiennes comes. I know he says he regretted making this movie, but it'd be so cool if him and J-Lo just did like a little, hey guys, like. I would love to happy just to see like a Zoom with them or something. And Tyler Exactly. Fizzy. Yeah. Okay. So that's what I was going to ask. I was like, who do you think Ty is in like 20 years later? Because so he was 10 years old in the movie so he's actually the same age as tyler posey like it's accurate right um yeah. and tyler posey is an, an interesting dude but <laughs> yeah. i'm curious the character of ty who do you think he would be now as a 30 year old man i would love in this day and age see, i would love to see him doing like activism and like mutual aid in the new york city area like i think that would be so good because he's so interested in like politics i don't know like these like social political views at such a young age and he's so passionate about it that i'd love to see him doing yeah. like grassroots projects and nonprofits. maybe even like run for like city council and move up and up um that's what yeah. i hope for him okay Mercedes, have you seen this trend on tiktok where women are imitating guys with podcasts and just like the toxic masculinity yes. surrounding that yeah okay I don't know why, but I can almost see that oh, for Ty. No. Like, I, I can see Ty, like, with a podcast, being like, you know what females don't be doing? <laughs> you know what it is? It's the Simon and Garfunkel that screams. Is that what podcast, it is? I think. Okay, okay. I thought so. He's also, so they announced that they're doing a Teen Wolf movie, and Tyler Posey is coming back. But let me just make this perfectly clear i'm pretty sure 95 percent of people who watch teen wolf watched it for either dylan o'brien or tyler hecklin and neither of them are coming back Retweet. for the movie so yeah. <laughs> no i feel like nobody's coming back besides tyler posey yeah well him and like shelly um colton haynes is coming back holland Rod okay. Roden is coming back dylan sprayberry so you got some people but just you know not the not the heartthrobs there you know because jackson yeah, left I after like two seasons I need style Stalinsky there. I'm not gonna I need some that. styles. I need some Derek constantly losing every single fight that he's in. Because if you watch Team Wolf, Derek never wins a fight. It's so funny. Poor Derek. And Tyler then I, Heckler, man. I know. Tyler Heckler, my goodness. I also saw that Ben and JLo are moving to London this year. Like oh, for the Benifer. Benifer. How do you feel about their relationship? I love Benifer. I I think Ben Affleck is, is such an interesting human. <laughs> oh gosh. Um. Yeah, I loved Benifer back in the day too. I have a last episode for the Wedding Planner. I explained how I used to draw like portraits of me and J Lo as besties. Mm -hmm. I, on the same album that I talked about this episode, there's a song mm -hmm. called Dear Ben, and I would listen to it and I'd be like, Oh my God, Ben Affleck is probably like the dream man. Like I remember being like, He must be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I would just like journal and be like, wow, a guy like Ben Affleck. And now I look back and I'm like, no. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Wait, Mercedes, this is something you don't know about me. And I don't know if I want to reveal it on this podcast. So I'm just going to say it. I am a huge Ben Affleck fan. I am a <laughs> giant, unnecessarily obsessed Ben Affleck fan. And I couldn't even really tell you why. I love everything Ben Affleck. I love everything Matt Damon. I just, I, okay. I think it's because, yeah, he's he's an actor and he's he's good. But it's like then when he gets behind the camera, the magic that Gone Baby Gone is one of the best movies ever made. I think Gone Baby Gone, Argo, like he's just he's so the town when he gets behind that camera. I am so wildly attracted to him because he just makes cinematic magic. And I'm like, Ben Affleck, please direct my life. I will give you I will sign away all the rights, please. Wow. you. <laughs> I am a huge Ben Affleck. I love Ben Affleck. It's so, it's so weird. Ooh, I, you, the listeners can't see how passionate I am right now on screen, but I love Ben Affleck. Do you love Boston Boys? 
Okay, I think that's what it is too, because I really I like really trashy Boston movies with like corrupt cops and stuff. And I feel like they're kind of the kings of that. Definitely so. aligned, yeah. Yeah. And then also too, just Goodwill Hunting will always have just such oh, a special classic. place in my heart, especially after Robin Williams passing. Such a good movie. And they wrote that and then they won an Oscar for writing that. It's just so I just think he is so creative and he's so good and it's so unassuming. Like you look at him and you wouldn't expect something like Argo to come out of him. So I, <laughs> I think that's have why I like ever, it. <laughs> do you know why Mindy Kelly got the writing job on The Office? Why? Because she had an off-Broadway two-woman show with her best friend called Matt and Ben, and they played Matt Damon and Ben Affleck on the stage <laughs> as, like, oh, here, this is what we think, like, they are as, like, bros. And it's just them, like, in their apartment being like, yeah, bro. <laughs> and it's yeah. so funny. And they all Ben Affleck. That's so funny. They also were, I think they, I think they wrote the new movie, The Last Duel, with Adam Driver and Jodie Comer. Because they're both in it. I beard like... in that movie. <laughs> it is so bad. I watched it on a plane. But I also just, again, I just, oh, I love him. So ben Affleck, Wait, if you're so listening to this. Do you love Bannifer? <sighs> I don't, okay. It has nothing to do with them together. I just, I just want to see J-Lo single. I mean, obviously it's none of my yeah. business, but I just want to see what she's like single. And I, I'm still heartbroken over A-Rod, to be perfectly honest. I thought they were perfect, but I thought they were going to make it. So I'm just really sad about that. So I think that's all. That's why I don't necessarily like support it. But everyone else he's been with, I've been like, yeah, Jennifer Garner, she's great. You know, <laughs> I, I just want that to be happy. Hmm. When she, when he was with Jennifer Garner, it wasn't Benifer, and that always confused me. That's another <laughs> can't quit it twice. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I guess you can't quit still. it twice. Right? <laughs> it's like Brajelina. Like you can't if he dated another woman named Angelina. Which True. <laughs> Before go we go, I, I don't know if you follow the TikToker, the afternoon special. She does like a lot of media no. pop culture stuff. I love her. She's so great. She has such good insights. And she made this um, TikTok yesterday about how the best rom-coms in the early 2000s had serif font on their posters. And this movie has serif font. Like, she was like, that's how you know that's a great rom-com. Like, all in the font. She goes, this might be a crazy theory, but it is really in the font. Like, that's how you know it's going to wow. be. Wow. And she had all these examples, this being one of them. So I just, I needed to point that out because I thought that was so interesting. I'm going to think about it for forever. That is so interesting. You know, that just reminds me of the SNL skit with Ryan Gosling about papyrus, the font that they use for Avatar. Yes. And he was like, it's just papyrus. That's <laughs> <laughs> so funny. All right, listeners, we want to hear from you. What do you think about May in Manhattan? Do you consider it a classic? What do you think about J-Lo in this movie? Ray Fiennes, Tyler Posey, 20 years later. Make sure to slide to our DMs at MeetCute. Again, I'm Kendra. You can find me on Instagram and TikTok at Ken10Hollywood. Yes, and I've been Mercedes. You can find me at MercedesGB11 on Twitter, IG, and TikTok. And if you're looking for new rom-coms, follow Meet Cute wherever you listen to podcasts and follow Meet Cute on socials everywhere. Bye, everyone. We'll see you next week.